Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, the Committee of the Whole convened today to receive testimony to the ongoing water crisis related to the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority's potable water system. Yesterday, members of the Human Services Department leadership team provided the Committee of Health, Hospitals and Human Services with an operational update. Officials from the Department of Education met with parents and students today at the St. Croix Educational Complex High School after a series of fights on the campus. We speak with St. Croix Insular Superintendent Dr. Irisilda Otley-Herman. Port Authority Executive Director Carlton Dow responds to notice of potential fines by the FAA. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. The Committee of the Whole convened today to receive testimony on the ongoing crisis of the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority's potable water system to include findings of elevated lead and copper levels in the Sinkroy District's water system. Maria Friday, a resident of Calcahoon, one of the neighborhoods greatly affected, held up a bottle filled of brown water and two brown filters showcasing what residents are currently going through. Ladies and gentlemen, I urge you to think seriously and let me show you. Let me show you some of the good mabi that I brought for you today. Do you think this is, this is reality? Do you think that this is fair for the people to bathe with this, to cook, to wash? The clothing is terrible. People have to get rid of their clothing constantly because when this go through a washing machine and the clothes come out, it is brown, just as you see that water. I had a resident that told me she have had to buy 15 shirts already for her son who goes to educational complex. And when I talk about filters and despair in the community, those that have gone out already to get filters, look at what comes out. This filter was in place for three days. Oh. It was removed this morning for me to bring before you. And the one that was replaced in less than an hour is just about the same. This is how serious this matter is. Virgin Isles Water and Power Authority CEO Andrew Smith began by apologizing to residents for the ongoing water crisis. We apologize for the impact this emergency has caused the community, and we are intently focused on working with our local and federal partners to remedy this emergency as quickly as possible. Commissioner nominee Avril George and members of the Human Services Department's leadership team provided the Committee on Health, Hospitals, and Human Services with an operational update yesterday. Ms. George, who was nominated to the position last month, told lawmakers she is still assessing the various components of the department which comprises of 15 divisions overseeing 84 programs. The meeting touched on a vast number of subjects, with committee chair Ray Fonseca beginning on the department addressing the problem of borders, which refers to persons who are mostly elderly 
that have taken permanent residence in hospitals because they cannot afford a nursing home. The human services is going to be involved in $328 million in renovations. So, Commissioner, I want you to give me some updates on the Queen Louise and the Herbert Grigg and the Cruise Bay multipurpose. When do you expect to start and to complete those uh, constructions and renovations? I'll turn that question over to AC Baptiste, who has been working with the projects. Denal Baptiste, Assistant Commissioner. In terms of Queen Louise, we are getting ready to put the temporary repairs out to bid um, to get those done. So we're hoping by the end of this calendar year that um, that bid process will have started. We're in design for both uh, Queen Louise and Herbert Gregg. So we don't have a definitive timeline at this point but we have started the design process. Um, and how about the Cruise Bay multipurpose facility? For Cruise Bay, I, I think um, DC Georges would probably be better suited to answer. John Georges, um, Deputy Commissioner of Operations. Um, right now, those plans are in um, DPW right now, going through the phases. Uh, we have hazard mitigation repairs to the facility, but we're trying to secure additional funding to get a total um, repair and replacement for that facility. Following up on Senator Samuel Carrion's inquiry about the cost to expand the Meals on Wheels program, Senator Donna Fred Gregory sought further details from the department. The previous speaker asked a question with regards to the Meals on Wheels, and you made reference to some $1.2 million that's, that you're in, would be in, will, is in the Delta with, correct? Right. You're in a, there's a deficit of 1.2. But you further stated that you had 160 applicants in St. Croix, I believe, and 80 in St. Thomas. And then you said, you said that that's the wait list. And this is my challenge with your response. My challenge with your response is you're asking for 1.2, but you spoke about a wait list, but you indicated that you haven't vetted them. So how did we come up with 1.2 if we are are not even sure as to whether or not this, how much it is, this universe of um, individuals who have applications actually qualify. Why are we operating in that manner? Sure, <clears throat> Danal Baptiste, Assistant Commissioner. So we do vet our wait list. So we know that a majority of the folks on the list, uh, we do know would be qualified. Uh, many of them come in through referrals through our Adult Protective Services Unit, um, and some are just community applications. So similarly, when we were going through COVID, we added a lot of individuals onto the program, and we have not kind of reassessed that need to see you know, where they fall on the spectrum Good. in terms of needing these services. So, so again, that, that remains of a concern to me. So how and when are you guys going to actually do the reassessment of the program to make those determinations and to ensure that we are providing the assistance to those that truly and really need it? So the team has actually started that reassessment. So what does that mean? So I've had them pull the list. They're, how no, we came up I mean. with the... When I ask you what does that mean, I mean, when are you going to be finished so we can move to the next level? Understood. I do not have a response for you at this time yeah, in terms of how long. Challenge. And that remains the challenge.
rather than an instructional day of classes, students and parents of the St. Croix Educational Complex attended a series of grade-level parent meetings today as a response to a series of disturbing videos that began circulating yesterday, showing what appeared to be multiple separate fights between students on campus. We spoke with Superintendent Dr. Erisilda Otley-Herman on yesterday's events that triggered the meeting. It actually spirals from before yesterday. Um, last week, Thursday, we had about one or two fights on a campus. Then last week, Friday, we had a series of fights, about three that emerged on the campus, and we were able to identify those individuals and administer, based on a board policy, a level four infraction with parental conferences. What happened yesterday was we had a series of fights also on the campus, but in addition to that, we had students who were acting as decoys. And so what that looks like is we had students who were actually inciting, running and screaming. And then the other students thinking that they were running to a fight as well were running behind of those students. When our monitors and um, the VIPD school security on site ran to where they heard the noise and they saw the crowd rushing to, there was nothing there. The students then used that opportunity as the adults were rushing towards what they thought was a fight to actually attack other students and fight on the other end of the campus. The fights have started to escalate in, the, in, in not just number, but strategy, tactics, and aggression. Um, we had a student who left in an ambulance yesterday, a student whose face was bloodied. Um, he had lacerations above and below his eye. And so as a leadership team, in conjunction with the school leadership, we agreed that it was time to, it was at the stage where we needed to stop and halt and involve the parents and the community in a discussion around we need your support, and this is what your support looks like. Because of a lot of what we are finding, and the principal spoke about this today in the meeting, was that the causes of our of why these children are fighting are is one, any conversation or confrontation that cannot happen on social media. They're they're taking advantage of meeting at school and and fighting. So they're on social media, they're on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, they are arguing, they are on the digital games, and they are fighting and throwing words. And when they meet in school, they are fighting in school. We are seeing relationship issues where males, females are upset because of relationship problems. And for me, they're too young to be experiencing relationship problems where they feel like they have to fight because you are talking to my boyfriend or you are talking to my girlfriend. And the third one is our students really do not understand conflict resolution. And so they get a text message or they hear a rumor that someone said something about them and they are confronting uh, the other individual in a way like, so you said this about me and I need to make sure and it escalates into a fight. So today we wanted to really clarify to the parents the support that we needed from them. In our conversation with Superintendent Dr. Irisilda Otley-Herman, we inquired on the possibility of consequences going forward. That varies uh, because again, for me, today's educational complex we have two high schools, 
but a lot of the behaviors we're not just seeing at the high schools. We're, we we actually had a superintendent's meeting yesterday, and at that meeting, we spoke about as a district team tracking these behaviors from as early as pre-K and, and first grade. Um, our high schoolers have the most events, so for them, that's a that social life is the real life. Um, so it may require us to look at how we approach a lot of the events and activities in terms of security and who's allowed to attend, but not so much cancel the activities. Um, what we also are going to do at the school sites is create, um, and not just create, because we've actually implemented through community partnerships through DIVASAC, the Office of Gun Violence Prevention, um, Women's Coalition, um, Department of Health Behavioral Services, Island Therapy, Greater Changes, Beautiful Dreamers. We've engaged various organizations and agencies in providing our students with workshops and strategies. Um, our counselors work in intervening day to day. We have a hotline, um, an anonymous hotline or tip line where students can share information, not just about things that they feel that teachers are doing, but what they feel that other students are going to do. Um, the complex as well, I mean, Central High School had grade level meetings with students last about a week or two ago complex is going to have grade level meetings moving forward we plan to engage with probably the department of justice and different areas to start to have the real world conversations with our high schoolers because one of the things they need to realize is this record follows them the superintendent implored parents to get involved in parent teacher association meetings that occur every month in schools and participate in the varying programs and workshops the department holds I did ask parents, and I'll ask right now, to please make sure that you, at least your email address is up to date in the parent portal, because that is how we are going to blast information directly to you. Your, your cell phone numbers are up to date, because we can, again, text information through our parent portal. And so we will definitely be sharing when those workshops are coming forward, um, how do you sign up, and what are all the great opportunities that we're going to have as a department, as a district um, for parents. As we move through the news feed, in September, the Virgin Islands Port Authority Executive Director Carlton Dow responded to a notice of potential fines to be imposed against the authority by the U.S. Department of Transportation via the Federal Aviation Administration. Director Dow said that the Port Authority received a letter from the FAA dated August 23, 2023, stating that the FAA proposed to impose a fine of $477,000. The penalties are reported to be related to various deficiencies discovered during routine inspections in calendar years 2021 and 2022 at the Cyril E. King Airport in St. Thomas. Speaking with Leslie Comision, host of the WTJX-TV series Comes with the Territory, Director Dow shared further details on the matter. We know that there have been some FAA fines that have taken place actually over the last five to six years. They've been <laughs> yes. there, more than that, actually, going back yeah. a few years now. Um, why are we finding ourselves in a situation where we're being fined for airport, for, uh, runway maintenance, those kinds of things. What's, what's making that I, I'm happen? I'm glad you mentioned that, but let me just say that um, this week, uh, we had an informal meeting with the attorneys and the legal people from FA, just to, for the record, just um, this week, uh, mm -hmm. Monday, we did that. We continue to talk to them. Um, we continue, we have to provide certain information for them. One of the major problems we have in the territory, unlike most states and even go to Puerto Rico, when they have to maintain their runway, 
they can close down an entire section yeah. of that runway and, and, and just close it down for months and work. Mm -hmm. the, we are unique in of ourselves because we can only close down a very small piece of it to try to keep the traffic open. And as we're speaking to you tonight, all into the morning, we have people at the airport working when people are sleeping. Mm -hmm. So that poses challenges for us. Some of the things like in our discussions with them, we still, we have, um, after the meeting Monday, we have to present them with certain documentation. For example, if you go to the airport now, you'd see a whole big project taking place, a whole new um, area that we, that we are um, pouring concrete, mm -hmm. thousands of yards of concrete. Well, that's normally the area that the, the planes would line up to depart. One of the things that we're finding us for is, hey, it has to be striped, it has to be marked. Ah. But then you, you reflect, how could it be striped and marked when in fact this concrete being poured there right now? Mm -hmm. And the marking that is used in the airport is not what you see in the street. Yes, it's different. So I want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a company called Highlight. We were able to present to FA the contract showing them we already engaged Highlight, but it cannot come into mark as until that concrete portion is done. It's a lot of, you know, smart things, but over time they accumulate. But you know, here's the irony of this. For me, I always look at the brighter side. There are things that we have to own, and I'll be the first to say that. The challenges, that's why we get paid, to deal with the challenges. But here's the thing. While all of that is going on, the FA make available to the Port Authority $28 million to do runway work that we're doing currently. So while they give us $28 million to do all sorts of work, mm -hmm. and uh, other issue that we run into from time to time uh, with, with, with the FA is the, this inspector that came recently, uh, he was just on the job uh, in this district like two years. For the full conversation, tune into WTJX TV Channel 12 this Sunday at 1 p.m. or catch the repeat at 7 p.m. You can also stream it on WTJX.org, the WTJX Facebook page, the WTJX app, or by localizing the free PBS video app to WTJX. This Sunday, WTJX TV will bring the opera Champion into your living rooms. Champion is based on the true story of boxer and St. Thomas native Emil Griffith. Dwayne Henry, who hosted on Analyze This with Neville James, spoke to six-time Grammy Award-winning composer Terrence Blanchard, who brought his opera Champion to the Met earlier this year. The story of Emil itself really helped drive the story, drive the music, and create the music. You know, he was an incredible figure to me, and, you know, I really wanted to do the opera because, you know, I, I, I remember the first time I won an award, a major award, uh -huh. Man, I turned to my wife and I grabbed her and I gave her a kiss and I went up on the stage and, accept, and accepted my award. And I started to think about Emil, how he became welterweight champion of the world, but couldn't celebrate that openly with somebody that he loved. Right. That, uh, you know, that broke my heart. How, how, how did you, why did, how did you decide to, to write an opera about Emil Griffith? Well, that was, that was the main thing. You know, I was, I've been a big fight fan. Oh, okay. Know, my best my, my best friend was, uh, was a heavyweight champion. His name is Michael Bent, and he was the one. He beat Tommy Morrison for the title. Mm, okay, okay. And, uh, he was the one who had told me about uh, Emil, and um, and he kept telling me, he said, man, Emil was a sweet dude. He was a really sweet dude. And I never got a chance to meet Emil. You know, he was uh -huh. he was living in the home right. while, we were, while we were working on the opera. 
but I got a chance to meet his son, Louise, you know, and then I got a chance to meet Benny Perrette Jr. Um, and it was a very, it was a very powerful story to me, the one that had to be told because, you know, it, he, he never meant anybody any harm. You know, he was an accomplished fighter, a guy who didn't want to box initially, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. but he, he saw it as a means of survival and became welterweight champion. That's a miraculous wow. thing. Champion premieres Sunday, November 5th at 2.30 p.m. on WTJX-TV Channel 12. For viewers residing in the territory, WTJX-TV Channel 12 is available on the free WTJX app, available on Apple and Android phones, on tablets, and by localizing WTJX on the free PBS video app. The Virgin Islands Economic Development Authority's board meeting, scheduled for Tuesday, November 7th, has been postponed and rescheduled for Thursday, November 30th. For more information, email info at usviedaorg The Community Foundation of the Virgin Islands is hosting its annual Virtual Giving Tree Project. Sonia Barnes-Moorhead, Vice President of Development and Capacity Building for CFVI, gives us the details. The Virtual Giving Tree really is an opportunity for us to help um, nonprofits in the community um, help the clients that they serve and um, youth, elderly, just those who are in need and need something extra during the holiday season. And it's an opportunity for us to reach out to our donors to help support the community um, during the holiday season. The deadline for submittals are Monday, November 6th at 5 p.m. For more details, visit cfbi.net. We turn now to our regional report. During yesterday's United Nations General Assembly vote, support for Cuba tied a record high, with 187 nations voting in favor of ending U.S. embargo sanctions on the island. While the United States and Israel opposed, Ukraine abstained from voting. The Cuban foreign minister, Bruno Rodriguez Parija, strongly criticized the U.S. embargo, labeling it as a crime of genocide and economic warfare during times of peace. The embargo imposed in 1960 has been a contentious issue, with shifts in approach under different U.S. administrations. U.S. Representative Paul Foamsby defended the sanctions, citing them as part of a broader efforts to promote democracy and human rights in Cuba. Despite Cuba's membership in the U.N. Human Rights Council, the Cuban government has delayed responding to requests to send independent experts to Cuba who would help advance respect for human rights, including freedom of expression, freedom of religion or belief, and the freedom to assemble peacefully. Some of these requests have remained pending for 10 years. Sanctions are one set of tools in our broader effort toward Cuba to advance democracy and promote respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms in Cuba. We therefore oppose this resolution. We recognize the challenges the Cuban people face. That is why U.S. sanctions include exemptions and authorizations relating to the exports of food, medicine, and other humanitarian goods to Cuba. As we make our way down the news feed, We turn now to the territory's weather forecast. 
Here's the latest look at your short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. Clouds begin to increase this afternoon at St. Croix. Scattered showers are also expected as well. Temperatures will hold in the upper 80s to near 90 and then gradually fall towards sunset. Winds rain from the east at 15 to 20 with gusts as high as 25. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find clouds increasing as well with scattered showers arriving mainly towards sunset. Temperatures will initially hold in the upper 80s to near 90 and then fall into the upper 80s towards sunset. Winds are a bit strong from the east at 20 to 25 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 30, mainly towards sunset. Tonight, scattered showers will continue at St. Croix. Temperatures will fall back into the upper 70s. Otherwise, it's mostly cloudy, especially after midnight. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find scattered showers early as well, and then a mostly cloudy sky overnight into Saturday. Lows will also fall back into the upper 70s to near 80. Winds remain stronger there from the east at 20 to 25 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 30, especially the first half of the evening. Saturday features sunshine with afternoon clouds and scattered showers at St. Croix. Temperatures will hold in the middle to upper 80s. And at St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find mostly sunny skies giving way to more clouds and the chance for a shower or two. Highs will climb into the upper 80s to near 90. That's the latest look at your short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. Be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you miss a part of our news, listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.